A few nights ago, my wife and I went to our five-year-old grandson's t-ball game. Now, if you're not familiar with t-ball, it's the beginning baseball, uh, where they don't get pitched to. They have a ball that sets on a, about a two-and-a-half-foot tee, and they hit the ball from there. Well, true to Oklahoma, the wind was blowing about 25 miles an hour or more sometimes, and the infield there didn't have a whole lot of grass, but it had lots of that good red dirt that we have here. And it was blowing everywhere. Okay, I don't understand how these kids could be out there playing, but they were having a good time, I guess. So our grandson, Eli, and about 90% or more of the rest of the kids really could not have cared less about the whole thing. I mean, they were there for the snack. <clears throat> Plus... It's cool to have a jersey and a hat with your name on the back. You know, when the season's over, you can wait around the neighborhood and tell everybody how many home runs you hit and how many no-hitters you pitched and all that. But I think T-ball was invented for the parents because it's a start for them to relive their past glories or what they think were their past glories. 26% of parents think their child will become a professional athlete. Of that, nine, or excuse me, of that 26%, 98% of them will be disappointed. In other words, about a half a person. So 0.6% of kids playing baseball will be drafted by the major league baseball teams, okay, which is higher than other sports. It's because they have a lot of minor league teams and all that. So they draft a whole bunch of people. So parents, just relax, enjoy the game, let your kids learn, let them have fun. And remember, God's team, eh, he accepts anyone, you know, and he's never going to lose. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for sports and how it can give us the, the team feeling and working together and and all, uh, Lord, I know that that's what we're supposed to do as believers, is work together and be a team. And so, Father, we thank you for um, giving people the initiative to uh, build the sports that they have. So, Lord, as we look at your word, uh, as we're in, in this season, uh, Father, help us to see what it is that you have for us. And, Lord, help us to know that whatever you have, is the best thing there is. In Jesus' name, amen. What happened is right. All those people from Palm Sunday, where'd they go? Okay, we'll look at that in a little while. But first, let's kind of recap a little bit. And it says that Jesus made it into Jerusalem. And what did he do? Well, he went to the temple. He didn't go there to pray. He didn't go there to teach. He went there to have a clearance sale. Okay, he turned over the money changers' tables. He crashed the cages of the pigeon sellers. Why? Two reasons. First one is found in Mark eleven seventeen, and the other Gospels as well. Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Okay, this equals no buying, no selling in the temple. 
Okay, the second reason that he did this is the sacrifices that they were about to make, they would no longer be necessary because the sacrifice that Jesus was about to make would be an everlasting one. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, the first four verses. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, Jesus' sacrifice is the last one needed, once and for all. Okay, during that week, we read many times that Jesus is teaching and praying. Uh, it's where Jesus gave us a lot of the parables that we find in the Gospels. Uh, and we find Jesus praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples. And he's praying for you and me. Okay, because he knows that today is going to come. And we're going to need the strength that we can only get from him. So Jesus goes to Bethany. Uh, Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus was anointed by the woman with perfume. And then Mark and Luke tell us something more. Okay, in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 3, it says, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to have Jesus turned over to them with no crowd present. Okay, Matthew 26, 15 tells us it was 30 pieces of silver, okay, which is about $600 in today. So, why? Why would Jesus do, or excuse me, why would Judas do this? Why would he betray Jesus? I mean, Jesus made him one of the 12. And in John 13, 21, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And then we're at the Passover meal, and Matthew 26, beginning in verse 20, says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him to have never been born. Now, this is a time when Judas is going to betray him. And so to continue in that uh, passage, 
Judas said to Jesus, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered him, You have said so. From this, most of Bible scholars say that Judas's fate was sealed. I disagree. Why? Well, I've got some different reasons. One, like I said, Jesus knew his betrayer from the beginning, okay, from the beginning of time. He knew that day was going to come. He knew what was going to happen. And Satan was allowed to enter Judas, okay? The Lord, through the Holy Spirit, could have stopped that, but Satan was allowed to enter Judas. John 17, 24, Jesus says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Okay, so he's praying for his 12 disciples. And then in John 14, 3, he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you can also be where I am. Okay, so Judas is still part of the 12. Okay, he still hasn't betrayed. Okay, and the kicker to all this is in Matthew 19, verses 27 and 28. Peter answered Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Judas was still part of that twelve. Okay, Jesus never said, okay, out of you twelve, eleven of you are going to be sitting on those twelve thrones. Okay, he didn't say, everybody except the one that's going to betray me is going to sit on those 12 thrones. Well, another reason why Judas did what he did, well, he just felt that Jesus wasn't the Messiah that he was looking for. Okay, He was looking for a Messiah that was going to come charging in on a white horse, you know, in his battle gear, ready to go, and and just going to take over, you know, kill all the Romans, and everything was going to be hunky-dory after that. Well, another reason might be that Judas was money-hungry. Okay, $600. You know, $600 today, that's not a whole lot of money. But if you've been traveling from place to place and don't have a, a home of your own, and don't know where your next meal is coming from for sure, $600 sounds pretty good. But whatever the reason for Judas's betrayal, things were in motion for what was coming. Okay, so Judas follows through on what he'd been paid to do, betray his friend. Jesus is arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane. Each gospel writer records this and here are some highlights and, and some differences from each. Okay, I'll record the servant's ear being cut off 
Only John says it was Peter that cut the ear off, and he also names the servant as Malchus. Only Luke says that Jesus healed the servant. Now, Mark adds two things that no one else does. Okay, Jesus has been arrested, and he's been taken away. And in verse 50, it says, Then everyone deserted him and fled. This is a fulfillment of what Jesus had said in Mark 14, 27, when he said, You will all fall away. Because Jesus told them, For it is written that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Well, then, going back to, to Mark um, 14, in verses 51 52, it says, A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. You know, this is one of those things where, really? You know, why is this in here? I don't understand. Not sure why Mark added it. Uh, you know, if the others were aware of it, they thought, eh, that's really not important. But Mark did, for whatever reason. It's one of those things that I guess God felt was important. Or maybe God's just saying, I'm going to have Mark put this in. So those people are just going to, you know, knock themselves out trying to figure out what this naked young man had to do with anything. Well, I want to make a suggestion. Okay, this is kind of a commercial here in the middle of the message. If you've never watched the movie The Passion of the Christ, I suggest that you do. Okay, it's the best movie that I have seen to depict what was coming. Okay, Jesus was taken in chains, and the questioning begins. The Sanhedrin are the first, but next is Peter's denial of Jesus, which is recorded in all four Gospels. A little different in each one, but Luke is the only one to have this account. Okay, in Luke 22, 60 to 62. says, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The Greek for the word bitterly is just that, and violently. Okay, you know, whenever I read this, It's hard to handle because that could have been me wanting to save my own skin. And that's what Peter was concerned about. You know, he's, he's denying Jesus because if he would have said, yeah, I was with Jesus. I've been with him for the last three years. He was afraid that he was going to find himself in chains. But the one thing that's in there that nobody else put in was when the rooster crowed, it says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, I don't know where Luke got that from. And the others didn't find that or didn't figure that out or didn't remember that. 
But I can imagine when Peter heard that rooster crow, and if Jesus did look at him, you know, his eyes just went right through him. And he remembered what he had been told by Jesus not even 24 hours before. In the message, it says that Peter went out and he cried and cried and cried. Me too. This is a time also when Judas realizes what he's done. In Matthew 27, verses 3 to 5, it says, When Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I've sinned, for I've betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Now Judas is being paraded around, questioned from place to place. Herod, Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate. All during this time, Jesus is being beaten, spit upon, you know, if he were to fall, they'd probably drag him along. What I want to know is this, is where were those people on Palm Sunday? Where were they now? Okay, those were the people that were shouting, Hosanna in the highest, praise to the Son of David. But my best answer is on Palm Sunday, there were people that were shouting praises to Jesus that didn't really know what was going on. Because in Matthew 12, 21, verses 10 and 11, it tells us this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, because a lot of the people that were there, they weren't locals. Okay, they had come there to celebrate the Passover. And so they maybe hadn't heard about Jesus, didn't know who Jesus was. And so I can imagine these new people just kind of joined in. You know, like it's, okay, you know, hello, hail Jesus, you know, praise the Lord. It's like going to a ball game of whatever kind, and neither team is your team. And while you're there, you get caught up in the home team cheering for their players. And so you just start cheering too. You have no idea who's on that team and don't know if they're any good or not, but you know, you're there and everybody around you is cheering for them. And so you just start cheering too. And I think that's what happened. That's what happened on Palm Sunday. And that's what happened also on Good Friday. Well, it tells us that Pilate tried to free Jesus. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 24, says, When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, 
It's your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Question. If he thought Jesus was innocent, why did he have him flogged? I, I think it's John that tells us that what he was flogged with wasn't, you know, just a, a cord of some kind, but it was like they call the cat of nine tails. It had pieces of bone uh, tied into it. It had pieces of metal tied into it. And so they would whip him and just pull it out quick. So it would rip the skin. So I'm going to go to the King James to answer this question about why was Jesus flogged. Isaiah 53.5 <coughs> But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our people was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Okay, just a side note here. Uh, if you remember the group of Striper, uh, that's where they got their name, by his stripes, where are healed. Most other versions say wounds, not stripes. And the Hebrew there is kaburah, which means to, to hurt or bruise or wound or the stripes. So those are the stripes that healed us. Healed from our sin by the sinless one. So Jesus is now on his way to Golgotha and he's carrying his cross. And I imagine if he hadn't gone through what he had gone through, that, you know, he probably could have carried his cross without too much trouble. But this is a man that's been beaten and whipped and beaten and whipped some more. And so he struggled to carry his cross. And so Simon of Cyrene is forced to help Jesus carry the cross. Now, poor Simon, you know, he was from out of town, from Cyrene, and he'd come there probably for the Passover. You know, waited all year, you know, from the last time he'd been there. And so now... Here he is, ready to celebrate the Passover, and now he's carrying this cross that's covered with the blood of Jesus Christ from the beatings and the whippings that he's had. And so he won't even be able to go to the temple. He won't be able to celebrate the Passover. Well, there's a lot of different accounts of just how the crucifixion was done. None of them are good. It was the cruelest, most humiliating way to kill somebody. It was the way that would make someone suffer the most. And it was commonly used by the Romans. While Jesus was on the cross, he did some things and was part of why some things happened. But he, he gave John charge of his mother. He was harassed by people, including the Pharisees. Darkness came from noon until three o'clock, three hours. The sun didn't shine. 
there was a huge earthquake that opened graves. He was offered wine mixed with gall, but he refused it. Why did he refuse it? Because the gall was used as a painkiller. And Jesus wanted to experience everything that he needed to experience for you and me. Jesus asked for forgiveness for his crucifiers and for those Pharisees that were out there harassing him. Jesus watched his clothes be divided. Jesus forgave the thief on the cross. Well, Jesus cried out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because his father turned his face from him. And then Jesus called out, It is finished. And he died. John 19, beginning in verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it is given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And another scripture says, they will look upon the one they have pierced. Now, normally, the bodies are left on the cross. Could be there for many days. They're left there and eaten by the birds. Or if they are taken down, they're just tossed in a graveyard that's outside the city, left unburied, eaten by birds and wild animals. Well, each gospel writer gives an account of Jesus's burial. So I'm going to use John 19, beginning in verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leader. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus's body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. The place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. A few notes. 
Mark and Luke tell us that Joseph was a member of the council. Matthew tells us that Jesus was put into Joseph's tomb. 75 pounds of spices. That's a large amount. That's what's normally used in royal burials. I want you to imagine something for just a few minutes. If you're able, I'd like you to stand up and just hold out your arms. And now just imagine that you're Joseph or maybe Nicodemus and the Roman soldiers have been told to take Jesus' body down. And you know that they were not carefully doing that. That they ripped the nails through his feet and through his hands. And then they placed him in your arms. The Messiah, the Messiah was dead and you were going to take care of his body. You were going to be the one to perform the burial. You too would not be able to celebrate the Passover because you were carrying a dead man. You had his blood all over you. And so you take that body to the tomb and you carefully place him inside and you lay him down. And you use the, the spices and you anoint his body and you wrap it in the strips of linen like it says. <sighs> Praise the Lord. I don't know how to better explain what happened that day. The scripture tells us all that we need to know. We don't understand it all. And we never will. At least not this side of heaven. But praise God that Jesus was willing to lay down his life for his friends. Let me share three verses from a song that you probably have heard. Were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Well, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Ah, uh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when they laid him in that tomb? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there? when they laid him in the tomb. Let's pray. Father, no, we weren't there. 
But, <coughs> Lord, we still hold the guilt that there was there, <coughs> excuse me, on that day. And we need to confess that we don't know where we would have been. Would we have been one that was <coughs> shouting <coughs> for Jesus to be crucified? Or would we have been one that was following him up the hill and weeping? Would we be one that was watching them drive the nails through his hands and through his feet and drop that cross into a hole? No, we weren't there. But sometimes it does cause me to tremble, tremble, tremble when I think about what Jesus did for us. Praise you, Lord, for what you've done. You did what no one else could do, just as Jesus knew that he had to do and just as God had designed it. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please think of what Jesus did for you. That no matter what you've done in your life, there is no sin too big that can't be forgiven. There's no one that's too rich that doesn't need Jesus. There's no one that is, is too famous or in a position of power that doesn't need Jesus. You're not too healthy or too young that you don't need Jesus. Lord, not one of us knows when we'll take our last breath. So I know that when I take my last breath, when I open my eyes in heaven, that I'm going to see you. And there's only one way that that can happen, and that's through a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. If you need Jesus in your life, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Let me turn my life over to you, that you'll guide me, that you'll love me, and that you'll forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen.